Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimer. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, brianclayman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello, folks, and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano Cedroni, with me, Brian, the Angry Man Clayman. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we last uh, recorded, so I'm eager and uh, happy to, to get going with this latest episode, which is basically all about perspective and perception, two important ingredients in uh, basically emergency management, because you got to know it's going to drive how you respond to things, how you receive certain things, and how you analyze or, or decipher that information in your head. Uh, which is going to change for everybody, which we're going to get into. And I'm really excited because I think it's going to be an interesting one, uh, given our pre-discussion with uh, with Brian. Uh, but before that, as usual, we're going to listen in. Mike, uh, Brian's had a couple of weeks now to stew on some issues. So there's probably a, a handful or a boatload of, of issues that he wants to talk about that are keeping him up at night these days. So let's get into it, Brian. What's the latest and greatest? Well, nice of you to ask. Uh, I have stewed on a few things. And... Uh, <laughs> Although things are looking uh, uh, quite good on the COVID front, finally, it's been a long 13 or 14 months, we're not out of it yet. But one of the things that just drives me absolutely bonkers is when organizations or people uh, look at their customers or stakeholders as morons. And that's really what we get from big companies and what we get from our politicians. Let me ask you this. How many times have you been on the phone to a company, a big uh, service provider, and they answer the phone, hello, your call is important to us. We're getting higher than normal call volumes. Please stand on. Okay. So the first time that's okay, I guess. The second time it's okay. But that's the way they're doing business now. They don't have enough call center people. I was talking to one supervisor because I got a bit explosive and angry. And I said, how is it that you caught off guard knowing that, you you know, this uh, situation was happening? How come you didn't staff up accordingly? And you say that your call is important to us. You're important to us. But then you treat me like garbage. And what do I do? I keep going back to the same service provider. I keep waiting on the hold. Let's just take that to your favorite guy and one of my favorite guys, Prime Minister Fancy Socks. Okay? Oh, jeez. <laughs> you know, I, I love the way, forget about I'm sorry. I wish he would apologize oh, for my what God. he's done to us. And you probably have a few. You notice the hat I'm wearing so. because I'm a little embarrassed about that whole thing. It really well, is. You, anyway, you should, go on. You should feel, you should feel good, Cedroni. You got your apology, okay? Oh, now, yeah, that was fine. Top of the list for me. For the vaccine screw-up. But here we go. This guy is amazing. He's the master of uh, of communication, and we're just a bunch of morons, okay? They screw up the procurement of vaccines. Then what they do is we've got the vaccines coming in, and then the message from Ottawa is that our vaccination rate is amongst the highest in the world. Yeah, but it's only the first dose. If we look at 
compared to countries that have second dose, we're not even on the map. Then what he does in his handlers is we, the soundbite, a one-dose summer will lead to a two-dose fall. I mean, really. And what happens as a result? Is he an effective communicator? The guy is damn brilliant. His numbers have been never higher. His ratings have never been higher yep. in the polls. Uh, he'll probably get in with a landslide. And he and his government screwed up on one of the most important things they have to do is procurement. Yet he's spinning the Band-Aid and he's getting away with it. That just drives me absolutely crazy. When people talk, they say obviously ridiculous things. They don't get challenged. And quite honestly, they get even more support. He reminds me of a guy that uh, I used to follow around. Well, I didn't follow him around, but he was big at the time that I was doing organized crime. But I used to, you, this may ring a bell, Brian. We used to call him the Teflon Don, right? Because nothing oh, yeah. stuck to the guy, right? My John hero. Daddy. Like, the guy was, he was flaunting it. He didn't care who knew he was part of the mob and wasn't afraid to, to tell people and still was uh, nothing could stick to him, right? And uh, that's sort of the way our prime minister seems to be uh, benefiting from people's ignorance or, or lack of options, maybe that's, you know, if you look on the bright side, maybe it's because we just don't have anything better out there. If you think about the the the, uh, the opposition leaders, I mean, O'Toole, who knows him, <laughs> right? Like, he just yeah, doesn't yeah. ring or connect with us. So maybe he's abusing that that uh, that position right now to be able to benefit from that lack of, of options to push the envelope, push his agenda further to the left where he wants to be. But at the end of the day, we got to point the fingers at you, me, and the Canadian public who continually gives him a pass. Continually. It's disgusting. You're, you're entirely right. And Gotti is such a great example because if you recall, he was tried, I think, two or three times, acquitted two times, convicted on the last time. Serious charges, murder, uh, loan sharking. Uh, the first time anyways, I don't think they were RICO charges, but they were serious charges. He got acquitted. Witnesses were intimidated. This guy was a bad guy, and he walked out of the courthouse to a standing ovation from the public. Yeah. Just like our prime minister is going to get reelected with a landslide, just like uh, these service providers say that your call is important to us, but they continue to abuse us and put us on hold. You know, I think the thing that just drives me absolutely crazy is that people forget it's really a client-provider relationship, whether you're a service provider you're a politician, you're a parent dealing with your child. It really is not an equal partnership, okay? Mm -hmm. And if you look at it, politics, you've got, the, you've got the electorate who really should be the ones that you're serving that have the power, and then you have the politicians that have to satisfy the electorate. But that's not happening. Yeah. The electorate lie to us, misinform us, refuse to answer a question, and we accept it. So, you know, the mess that the world is in didn't happen by nature. It wasn't Darwin that did it. We've done it to ourselves. And that's just really disappointing. But, you know, in spite of that, the sun is still coming out. The summer is looking good. And there will be a better time. There will be. And, and you know, you haven't mentioned it, but I'm going to mention it for our listeners who may not be seeing this on YouTube. But I do have the blue and white. They haven't been in the playoffs for 17 freaking years. I didn't realize it was that long. My God, it's been a long time. But hopefully this year they're going to get through to the uh, to at least the final four. It would be nice. I'd be happy with that. Um, so that's keeping me up at night, hoping that that happens before my lifetime uh, comes to an end. Um, and this freaking terrible weather that we're having is really a pain in the arse. Uh, 
But June is right around the corner. Hopefully better days are ahead. And, uh, you know, things will get brighter, warmer, and we finally get back to normal in this crazy, crazy world that we're living in right now. But uh, so let's move on to what we were talking about. Perception and perspective. Two important okay, concepts. Let, let me just stop you about perception before yep. you go. Okay, I'm colorblind. I'm a Habs <laughs> fan. That's why I'm wearing red. It's a matter <laughs> of perspective and perception. I yeah, think I'm wearing red. I don't know what you're seeing. <laughs> I'm seeing a poor guy who's just the delirious. Struggling. <laughs> struggling. <laughs> struggling, exactly. <laughs> so let's get into that uh, perspective, perception. I think uh, two different uh, two different terminologies. I think it's, it's important to de determine or uh, de define the two so that we know exactly what we're talking about. To me, when I talk about perce perception, it's how I'm reading things, how I'm perceiving something. Yeah, how I'm perceiving things. When you talk about perspective, it's really about the angle from which it's, it's they're very similar. Yeah, but there is, there's a, a minutia, a difference between the two. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, uh, Luke, I'm going to have you put up uh, a graphic right yeah. now, okay? And I want to talk to it. Okay, here you go. Okay, so if you look at this graphic, what do you see? You see two guys, one on the left side of the number six and one on the right side of the number six, okay? And one of them is saying it's a six, and the other guy is saying it's a nine. Well, who's right? You know what? They're both right, yeah. and they're both wrong. Because their perception of a six or a nine is based on their perspective. The guy on the left side is looking at a six. The guy on the right side is looking at a nine. They're looking at the same thing, but they're seeing something else. That's what I mean by perspective and perception. And it really makes a big difference in uh, how we act in business, in security, in policing. What one person sees as a threat, another person may see as a peace officer. I'll give you a great example, policing. Okay, that's really in the news right now. I stop you. You're a happy guy. I, I'm the cop. I don't know who you are. And you reach into your pocket suddenly to pull out a chocolate bar to give to me. Your, 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 your perspective was, I wanted to do a nice thing. Okay. Uh, 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 my perspective from where I'm standing, the perception I had, this is the threat and things go wrong. This is such a simple concept that often gets lost in business. Certainly doesn't security manage. Where you're standing from and what you think doesn't matter. You know, perception is reality. It doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong. If I'm with 20 friends and we all believe we're all anti-vaxxers, that's our perception. It becomes our reality. It's a fascinating topic that we don't yeah. really think about, but it really affects everything we do, and certainly in business. Well, we don't think about it because we're all obsessed with the way we see things. And so you gravitate towards reading material, doing research that support that view rather than try and open open up to different perspectives to your point um, and the police the police situation is a perfect example because all too often they get judged by what the uh, you know the public is seeing on a on a 30 second clip they don't see all the angles of that video and you talk to you know we had Mike Burgess on on a few few months ago and he always talks about that video being a, a poor piece of evidence because you only so, see yeah. three sides of the story at any time um, and I, I recall there was a, a situation in, in, I think it was Florida, I can't remember the police department that was involved, but 
the officer was basically going to be charged with uh, with like murder for I can't remember the specific charge, but he was he was going to be charged with with a serious offense for shooting a, a male who was running away from from the cruisers. And you see during the the trial, I think Dave Salson sent us this video originally, but there was three different police cars chasing this guy. Uh, so three different perspectives. To your point on the on the video cam of the cars, two of them came from behind the officer, and if you and, and so they give you the view of the officer, which clearly showed that this guy was running away running away from the officers and was shot in the back with. Uh, oh yes, know, I recall that. Uh, yeah, so you would think, wow, that's a terrible that's a terrible situation. The officer was was offside, but the third car coming in from the opposite side actually sees the the male pull out the weapon and pointed at the yes. officer as he's running and fires off some, some shots. So the, the officer ended up being justified in the shooting and, uh, you know, subsequently the charges went away, but a perfect example of two, two, if he was stuck with those two original video shots, the man was going to be convicted and probably go to jail. Thank God there was a third shot, a, a third perspective that showed the other side that we were privy to. And to your point, everyone was right. I mean, you're yeah. at that moment, that's what reality is to you. Wherever you happen to be, what happened to you, whatever you happen to be seeing, that is your reality. Whether it's right or wrong is irrelevant. That's what you believe. So it is important to, to understand that. And it's important to know that is uh, everyone is right and everyone is wrong when you yep. see the same thing and you see different things based on a perspective. And if you say to your point, to the example you just gave, uh, the perspective of Officer 1 was different than Officer 2, and neither 1 nor 2 saw what 3 saw with the subject pulling out a gun. Uh, so often when you're looking at perspective and perception, uh, if there is a disconnect, it's an honest mistake. It's an honest disconnect, you know. With the example you gave or the graphic we showed at the beginning, the 6 and the 9, both of them honestly believe what that's what they saw yeah. but sometimes the perception is not a, the disagreement in perception is not because of uh the perspective it's because of a political bent yeah. so i'll give you an example and then we've got a video clip in a second i'd like to uh, show uh, our friends but if you look at what's happening now in uh especially in the united states with the anti-police movement you know and groups like black lives matter or anti-police groups some people that wanted to fund it doesn't matter like mike burgess said the video clip doesn't show the whole thing even if it showed the whole thing okay these people would not see the validity in the actions of the police and conversely bad cops yeah. would find a way to justify their action yeah. so that's not a matter of perspective that that's perception based on an ideology yeah. okay and the next video clip that we're going to show in a second really is classic so luke why don't you run it and folks it's probably about a bit under a minute just sort of indulge us but there's two clips there's the first clip uh that has a u.s congressman talking and critiquing the january 6th capitol riots and then, uh, excuse and me that was a walk it was a sunday walk in the park that he described and <laughs> it clear brian yeah 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 You're, yeah okay yeah snap <laughs> snap snap and then the second one is raw footage of the Sunday walk in the park. So yes. play that for a second. There was no insurrection, and to call it an insurrection, in my opinion, is a bold-faced lie. Watching the TV footage of those who entered the Capitol and walked through Statuary Hall showed people in an orderly fashion staying between the stanchions and ropes taking videos and pictures. You know, if you didn't know the TV footage was a video from January the 6th, 
you would actually think it was a normal tourist visit. We want you to go home. I'm recording, and there's so many people. It's just they're going to push their way up here. Uh, bro, I see people out there get hurt. I don't want to see you get hurt. I just we will make a we will make a path dead ass. Like we don't want. That's what I'm saying. We'll make a path, bro. Please, just let us make a path. Just let us make a path. The whole country hates you. I want you to go home. It's really interesting. You've got the congressman saying that this was just another day. It was just, you know, a Sunday walk in the park. If you didn't know and read all the media hype about an insurrection or a riot, you would think it was just another tourist tour. That's the, I think it was Congressman Clyde's perception of what he saw. Okay. Then the raw, the second video, the raw video shows people forcibly trying to break a window to get into a room. Someone takes out a gun and shoots someone. Now, I don't know where Constable Clyde lives and what his Sunday walks in the park look like, but that's not what a Sunday walk in Canada looks like in the park. Typically, when I go out, no one gets shot, windows aren't broken, and there is no mob mentality. So you have to ask yourself a question with these two clips. Is this a matter of perspective? Or is this a matter of perception, which is different to suit a political means and end? I would suggest the latter. It's yeah. not a matter of perspective. No matter what you were going to say, the people that believe it's an insurrection are believing it's an insurrection. The people that believe it wasn't, it wasn't. And somewhere in the middle is the truth. And we have to think. We have to look at all the available information sources and make up your mind. And I'm sure there's some one of our listeners is going to disagree with me. And I'm not an American. I don't understand American politics. But I'm sorry. I saw those two clips. And based on that short clip that I saw of the riot, I don't know that it's an insurrection, that was not a walk in a park. So that leads me to believe that that uh, congressman that was a Republican was touting the company tune, just like the anti-police movement. Not all of them. There's a lot of reasonable uh, uh, discourse going on. There's a lot of things that are wrong in policing. But the hardcore group of them, no matter what the cops do, it's not going to be enough. Yeah. What do you think, yeah. my well, Toronto Maple friend? I, I agree. I think the dangerous thing that's happening, uh, you know, you're always going to have different perspectives. You're always going to have that different perception. And I think that's a good thing because not everyone sees things the same way. It gives you new ideas. And, and you know, you can, you can have different things come to the table that you wouldn't have seen yourself because you just don't share that with those people. So I think it's important to have different perceptions and perspectives. The problem is, to your point, when they start politicizing that or they start um, contaminating that perspective for their, for their own agenda, for their own gain. And I think back to, you know, at the end of the day, that group, whether you think it was an insurrection or not, I guarantee you if I was there that day, I would be able to find 
uh, a dozen people basically having a cup of coffee five feet away from another couple of people beating the crap out of each other, right? If I wanted that to be the story, I could find right. both extremes. And I, I think about the G20, you know, we were there, uh, both of us lived that, that experience in Toronto. And if you recall, you know, they had a lot of, actually a lot, the majority of those people were law-abiding, peaceful demonstrators. And that was the story for most of the day. You had the small group of violent, idiots who wanted to were down there just to make trouble they wanted to break things they wanted to burn police cars right but that wasn't reflective of the whole situation so depending on which media source you're supporting which political party you wanted to push that was the you know you that that dictated the type of flavor of the, the of the information that you were pushing out to the public and that to your again goes that starts to mold the perception of the public what are they seeing what are they thinking and the problem is i think not only are we politicizing these things, the receivers of that information, we've become so lazy and complacent that the majority yeah. of us just get the headline, hey, well, it must be true. You know, Brian Clayman said it, it must be true. Like, scratch yeah, the surface, we don't, do a little we digging. We don't think. You know, yeah. years ago, many years ago, early in my career, I was doing a course, some training on uh, in interview and interrogation. And I remember to this day, the instructor started off by saying, never let the facts get in the way of a good theory. And what he was saying is when you do an, uh, an investigation, what you want to do is you don't want to set a theory, then look for the evidence to support the theory. You want to follow the evidence to see where it takes you. And this perception perspective argument we're talking about, especially when you have people so ridiculous, like in that last video clip, they have a theory, they have a narrative, and they're going to find the video, the evidence, support the narrative as does the other side. I mean, there's no virgins here, okay? Both yeah. sides have an agenda. I mean, the government of Canada, the prime minister has an agenda to survive politically. I'm sure he wants the best for Canadians. I, there's no doubt in my mind. And I'm sure he wants to get vaccines. But the primary or one of the primary agendas, I, you know, I'm, I'm not in government, is to survive this thing to get reelected. So, the thing that I've learned over the years is, because I used to, you know, when I did investigations, the first thing I did, it was a robbery or whatever, an assault. And the first thing I would do is I'd say, I'd have a theory. And my theory was, well, the guy was assaulted by this guy who probably, by Peter, who was a friend because he owed money. So that was my working theory. So then I started looking and I do a credit check. Oh, yeah, Charlie does have money problems. Oh, Peter does have money. Oh, Peter's a loan shark. And I found the evidence to support my theory. The problem was that my theory was wrong and the guy that we were looking at was not the right guy. And I did that at the exclusion of where the evidence was leading us. There's classic cases like Guy Palmeran, okay, the mm -hmm. uh, Christine Jessup murder case, and they just yeah. saw that uh, cold case squad. But the officers at the time were so fixated on Moran Paul Moran, and it was yeah. a tough case, you, you, you know, but they were so fixated, they found the evidence to substantiate what they thought, rather than look at where the evidence would take them, because quite honestly, it took them, they finally arrested the guy after, yeah. I don't know, 20 years, something like that, yeah. it took them completely somewhere else that they weren't looking, and it's not because these investigators weren't smart, it's because their starting point was wrong, and that's danger with security programs. I can't tell you how many times both when I was working at GWL Realty Advisors and as a consultant, that I go into an organization, I look at a program, and I ask them, what are your risks and threats? Well, I don't know. What are you worried about? Well, I don't know. Well, what are you spending $2 million on security? What is the focus of the program? Oh, to keep everything orderly. 
But is that what your risk or threat is? So you really have to take the time not to be blinded by what you think you want to accomplish, but what needs to be done. Yeah, and it and you you nailed it with the point. It has it takes time. It takes effort. It doesn't just happen. Um, and and it's important. You you know, for those who are thinking, how does this relate back to my business to, to the security guards that I employ? It relates 100% back to to the business and your security operation because the way those guards are perceived, the way they perceive the property, the way your tenants perceive the guards, it's all it all adds to how that whole um, the enterprise is working. So what do I mean by that? I've been to buildings where the perception was I want hard uh, hard tactile guards, right? They want that hard look. They want the the body armor. They want big guys. That creates a certain perception. You are you are pushing out a certain narrative that you want people coming to your property get. Um, and the, by the same token, there's other properties who go completely the other side. They want them in a nice little suit and basically they don't even want security written on there because that's almost too aggressive for them. And it's a totally different type of narrative that yeah. they want to push up. So and, and depending on which one you want to push out, if you're again, going, if you're perceiving your area of operations incorrectly and you're pushing out the wrong narrative, you're just setting yourself up for problems down the road. And what do I mean by that, if you're in a high crime area and you got guys in in uh, you know blazers with no body armor, no cuffs, no training. It's only a matter of time for you get into problems. You know, so you got to understand what the conditions are on the ground. You got to validate your perceptions. You got to understand what perspectives you're coming into the into the into the discussion with, so you can plan appropriately to address those those risks uh, accordingly. Well, and just like my days a million years ago as an investigator, is you follow where the evidence leads you. Well, the same thing with the security program. If you don't take the time, you, you, you've made the decision to spend money and effort, okay, and sweat equity in either contracting uh, with a security service provider, spending hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars on cameras and access control, uh, uh, it, it having security policy and procedure, maybe an investigations department. But if you don't take the time, okay, to start at the beginning and say, what is it I'm trying to protect? What am I trying to protect against? You're not going to get to where you need to get, just like the Guy Palmerin case is, yeah. we're out to get this guy. They did get this guy. He was released year late, years later. They messed up the guy's life. That's not, you know, we can't allow those mistakes to happen. And I got to tell you, you know, that's a real tragedy. A man's life was, was yeah, altered. Wasted. Okay. Yeah. But, but I tell you, on the corporate world, you know, it, it, it's not of the same magnitude because a life is more than money. But I got to tell you, you spend hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars on a program that's not necessary, or you convince the organization and the C-suite that this is what we need, okay, and they spend the money, and you still have a negative outcome, yeah. you lose all credibility. And once you've lost the credibility, it takes a long time and a lot of work to get it back. Yeah, absolutely. You're talking about brand damage, right? It's, uh, yeah. it's critical yeah. to, to protect that. But uh, yeah, I, I think... When you when you think about what goes on uh, in in the daily operation of a security program, the, I mean the perception and, and perspective are are in play all the time. Every time they approach somebody, you know, you think about um, the tenant's perception of homeless people, right? And the pressure on the guards to take care of them, to to, to grab them and throw them out. That's all perception. Most of the time, if you go, uh, if you if you change the mindset, so what we had um, home. Uh, Problems with uh, drug druggies in, 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 in and around some of our buildings. 
And when I got there, they used to call them druggies, right? And we talked about this before. Well, how do you know they're a druggie? How do you know that they're homeless? You don't. So you change that narrative to people in need, right? Or people in distress. That changes the mindset, the perception in the guard's mind. When I'm going to talk to this guy, I'm not thinking, oh, he's a druggie, because that automatically puts him at a certain lower level. You're already amped up, ready to take care of business on some level because he's lower than you. That tends to be like that perspective gets built, built in with, with the attitude of he's a druggie, he's a nobody. But if you change that to he's a person in need, now you've changed. I mean, you may still be a jerk. I mean, if you're, if you're a jerk of a security guard, you're a jerk of a security guard. But it changes your mindset, even if just a little, to say, oh, he's a person in need. Maybe I can do something to address this instead of going in there ready to fight the guy because he's, he's, he's well, a drug, drug addict. Let's take this away from security for a second and just put it in business. You're the senior vice president of marketing at Tim Hortons. Okay, yeah. you want you want to establish a marketing campaign. You think we have to be uh, selling uh, to our clients red wine with their lunch offering? Okay, and you put that marketing campaign together, absent doing any research and focus groups to see what the market wants. At the end of the day, you affect the brand because you look silly. You have to explain a failure. There's been a lot of money that's been invested and lost, okay? And you probably aren't doing, isn't, are not doing your career any favors. Years ago, when I worked for an American company, Fidelity Investments, very large, one of the largest in the world, uh, we had uh, the, uh, the SVP, uh, who is now an EVP. He was the SVP of the Security and Risk Management Group. And he was now a, a corporate executive vice president. But he, he told us at one of our conferences uh, uh, that you should never uh, uh, shy away from trying, but understand that if you don't get it right, there will be a consequence. And he gave you the example of himself, where he was an SVP of a new business unit. He invested millions of dollars into a line of business that he convinced everyone we should do. He didn't do his homework properly, and it was a failure. Three years later, they folded down, and it was like $100 million that was lost. He said, I was in the penalty box. I deserve to be in the penalty box. He says, I deserve to be fired. The point is, I've learned the lesson, that I started the journey without knowing where I'm going. And what I took from that, and that's why this perception perspective thing is so important to me, you got to look at what you're trying to accomplish, who the stakeholders are. Yeah. And the fact is that because you're, I'm talking to you in England, and I say, when you get there, park on the right side of the road, that doesn't work in England because yeah. I failed to understand where you're looking at it from. And, and, and again, such a simple concept. If we just think about it, it makes a big difference. But a lot of failures when you do the after actions is because you fail to anticipate what the other person did. One more quick thing: if you, you know, I'm a history of, I'm, I'm a fan of military history. The great generals developed their tactics using chess methodology, trying to think what the other guy is going to do. Yep. Okay, that takes a higher level of uh, thinking and evolution of the mind and the brain. Okay, it, it, it says this is where I am. This is where I want to go. What are the things that could be adversarial? And how might it impact us? Okay, we have to be critical thinkers. The people that hear uh, uh, the political leaders say nonsense and accept it. The people in the U.S. that hear, you know, like I'm, I'm anything from an anti-vaxxer. Quite honestly, I believe yeah. in science and healthcare. So the people in the states and tends to be the right that's that are anti-vaxxers. You have to be able to think. No, I'm not going to believe that because I haven't seen the data or facts to do that. But regrettably. Too many people just accept the 30-second soundbite, 
But if you're running a security program or business program, you can't be one of them because you will fail. And that's really why a lot of programs do fail. Yeah, and I, I would say that that's true of all business lines, not just security. Um, you know, yeah. In my experience, I think most departments remain siloed. It's very difficult to build bridges between them. And that sort of contributes to that whole failure to perceive others' views, to consider other aspects of a situation. You only look at it through your eyes. Um, and, and I think it leads to a lot of needless friction between departments. So ops, operations, for example, uh, have notoriously been at sort of loggerheads with security because security is there trying to say, you know, stop it a second. Let's let's think about this before you do it. And ops is there saying, we got to get the service score. We got to deliver the service. So they're both trying to do the right thing, but because they don't look at each other's situation, they stick to their own perception of what needs to be done. There's a failure to to come together and build a better solution. One of the things that I did in uh, in my previous lives was was certainly when it came to investigations because I think that that was a big opportunity to to close a gap. Um, but traditionally, for example, investigations falls on HR and uh, in most companies. And HR, you know, with all due respect, doesn't know much about doing investigations. Certainly doesn't know much about doing them properly. Uh, and many times they would farm that out to a third party, or they would bring in some guy who used to be a cop and you know, put, let him do the investigation and assuming everything would go well. What I did was, uh, because my, my issue with that is that HR was, was basically calling the shots every step of the way, which is fine, but there may be issues at play that they have no visibility to because they don't perceive them as issues. And so what I did to facilitate that and to bring perception to the table from everybody, leverage their expertise, was I, was I created a serious case review committee. Um, mm -hmm. And so on that, we would have usually one guy from the senior executive, the head counsel, the head of HR, the head of security, and whoever the department was being investigated, for lack of a better word. Like basically four or five key players, but intentionally from different aspects of the business because every one of them brought a different perspective to the conversation and the investigation. But the perspective had a central focus or theme. Yeah. And, and a hockey team is a great example, or even a military campaign. It has to be singularly focused in... Uh, Colin Powell, the commanding general of Gulf War, uh, Gulf War One, in his memoirs, he said that the first thing he did before he uh, uh, got bullets uh, into theater and troops and equipment into theater, he said, what is the mission? What are we trying to accomplish? Yeah. And the mission was clearly defined. It was to oust Saddam Hussein from uh, Kuwait. And so that was the mission. And then he said, what do I need to do that? And I need infantry troops, and I need Air Force troops, and I need logistics, and I need... Uh, people put up porta potties and showers. And then what he said, which I thought was brilliant, he said, I've got to make sure that every single person from the colonels and generals right down to the lowly private that's cleaning latrines understand what the ultimate mission is yeah. and understands how their piece fits into the goal, uh, the overall goal. So the guy cleaning the latrines had to understand that we need latrines clean, latrines clean, because the soldiers were fighting the war, needing you know some comforts of home. But everyone was focused on the mission, and I've had uh, counseled many clients who called me, and they couldn't understand why their organizations or operations were dysfunctional. And exactly to your point, Luke, because operations were looking at one thing, uh, 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 business development was looking at another yeah. thing. Uh, invoicing was looking another thing, HR another thing, making sure that, you know, the collective agreements were followed. But they weren't all looking at the goal is to serve the customer. 
external customer, internal customer. So the failure is that we you would not start a vacation without knowing where you're going. But we do this in business all the time. And I'm not talking really the C-suite people. They put together business plans and I'll give them that type of thing. But they don't communicate those plans right. down to the low-level people mm -hmm. like me. And I go in there every day at work and I do things. And if I understand what we're in business for, and, and I did, I was a senior leader, it's to make a pleasant uh, 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 a tenant experience so that the tenants want to pay the high rents and that the owner makes money. So everything I did was, how is that going to affect this? Yeah. Okay, in that context, that doesn't happen all the time. It often doesn't happen many times. I, I have a client we're working with right now, we're talking about customer service. And the thing I'm really trying to get across is, and it's a big organization, and the bigger the organization, the more challenging it is. Yeah. But you must be singularly focused on the mission and everyone in the organization senior focus. Because if you say the guy that does latrines or the janitor is not important, well, we pay millions of dollars a year on janitorial. So if it wasn't important, why are we paying the millions of dollars? It's the sum total of all the things within an organization, a military campaign, a transportation company, a business. It's the sum total of all the things working collectively, positively, yeah. uh, make a, a good outcome. There's a lot we could learn from the military. There's a lot looking at military doctrine. There's a lot we could learn by opening our – hold on, uh, <laughs> right there. There's a lot we could learn by just opening our eyes and being critical thinkers. We don't do that enough. Okay, be careful what you say. No, I'm going to agree with you. That's what about. You just tweak the – because you said we can learn a lot from the military. And I'm, I'm just going to uh, – to me, it's a, a perfect example of what we're talking about because I think most businesses would tell you – well, yeah, you know, the military, of course, they're organized, they follow orders, they're killers, like, and you talk about perception, right? And one of my, I'll give you a personal example. I remember coming over to the private side, okay, as a police officer, you know, just finished my, my 10 years with, with uh, York and going to the private sector. And the perception of HR in my first gig on the private side was basically that, you know, I was going to interrogate people on investigations, that I had this light that I was going to flash on their eyes and beat them with a baton. That's, you know, I, I told the guy straight up, I said, you watch too much TV. Like that type <laughs> of technique went out in the seventies with the policing. We are way ahead of that, you know, these days. And that's, we're going back 20 years already in terms of, yeah. of when that happened to me. So it was all about perception, perceiving me as a, as an aggressive person because I, I carried a badge for, for a number of years. And that's the problem. We, we, we don't take the time to, to dig that, that a little deeper, to take the extra step. And you go back to the to, to the executives of these big corporations. It is possible, but it has to start with them. If they don't give a crap about their company, how do you expect the guy at the lower levels to you know go out there and really worry about the company when you don't show that you give a crap about them? Um, and, and I'll give you one more example of that. And I think we've talked about this. You know, Walmart uh, does a lot of things poorly. It does a lot of things good. And one of the good things I took away from from my my experience there was. Um, and I don't remember the uh, CEO from the U.S. His name escapes me right now. But I'll tell you, I was impressed. This guy was the CEO of one of the biggest companies in the world, right? At the time, still is, obviously. But at the time, they were massive. They were growing in Canada, uh, something like 300 stores every freaking year they were opening. It was crazy. Um, but this guy would come into town, and I, I would do the uh, executive protection type escorts for him. So, you know, I would ride with these guys, and I would see them in action. And I'll tell you, when that guy got to a store... He didn't go to the freaking uh, manager yeah. of the store to have the discussion. The first person he would talk to was the person stocking shelves. 
or the person sweeping the floor yeah. and say, hey, how are we treating you? Right? What do you think about the store? What do you think about this new product that we're bringing out? And he would get their perspective on what was happening, not just up at the higher levels where you get that shit every day. Like you're always dealing with, with those guys at the executive level. He made the time and the effort to find other perspectives, other people's perception of the business, which ultimately made the business better. And that's what I think is lacking with a lot of these companies. You're right. You know, I smell when I worked at Fidelity Investments, a large American company, our CEO, CEO probably was related to your CEO, but it was the same type of thing. He traveled the world. They, you know, Fidelity, I think, was in 20 countries around the world, 65,000 employees or whatever that was. And he would come to a place and he would meet with all the executives, you know, regional executives. And the regional executives would tell him everything is good. Here's the plan. Everything you and want then to he would have. Yeah, exactly. And then the back end of the trip, he'd go to the cafeteria and he'd have lunch, a peanut butter sandwich with the employees. And he would say, what's really happening here? And that was his method of operation. Yeah. And his executives realized you can't get a kidder. Classic story that whenever the chairman would be coming to visit a site, they would spruce it up. They would paint, uh, fresh yeah. paint on the walls, things like that. And he said once, and I was in his company when he said that, he says, with a smile. It's interesting, you know, I don't understand we're a money management company, but every Fidelity office around the world I go to, it smells like fresh paint. And then he smiled. <laughs> and his point was, you're putting on a show for me. I don't want a show. Tell me what's happening. Because I can't steer the ship if I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Don't tell me what I want to know. Tell me what I need to know. And I got to tell you, that's easier said than done. Yeah. That's another failure with a lot of managers and a lot of people in business. You don't want the, the bosses to know things are bad. Well, if they don't know things are bad, they can never get better. Yeah. And when they do implode, you're going to wear it. I, I mean, you, you, you know, it's just we can learn so much from the military. And, and I take back my rude remarks to you about the smile when I said that. <laughs> be, be, because there's nothing wrong with having a mission. There's nothing yeah. wrong with having a plan. There's nothing wrong with being organized. There's nothing uh, wrong with hierarchy. You know, I, I have this saying, that, and I stole this again from my readings on military doctrine, but what we do as business leaders, we need to engineer uh, predictable, uh, predictable and defensible outcomes. outcomes. So we don't leave it to chance. Three plus four is seven, it's never eight. If we say, let's see what happens when we roll the dice, that may work in poker or in Vegas. It doesn't work in business, especially when there's a lot at stake. If you're running a security program and guards are missing thing and people get hurt, there's a lot at stake. If you make the wrong decisions, it's brand and reputation. So you've got to engineer for predictable and defensible outcomes. And that basically means understanding the risk and threats, understanding the, pers per, uh, the perspective out there and the perception that the stakeholders have and engineering so that at the end of the day, they think it's a win. Easy stuff to do, but we don't do it. It's often the easiest stuff that gets you. Do. Yep. How many times, Luke, have you done an after-action review to a major incident, a major security incident, a riot, a, a fire, a flood, only to find out that this thing was exasperated because someone turned off an alarm point last year because they were doing work and forgot to turn it okay. back on? It's not complicated. The no. failures are failures because we're not organized. And that's the lesson for the military. You're organized. You have systems and backup systems so you don't make obvious mistakes. There's always going to be mistakes, but you don't want – you want to engineer the obvious mistakes out. Yeah. yeah, and you do that by getting as many perspectives as you can so that you exactly. get a clear understanding of what you're dealing with. 
And from my perspective, we're coming up on 45 minutes. Oh, wow. That's so fun. <laughs> you just, you, I think my, my perception is accurate. <laughs> from my perspective, you just want to cut me off. And I'm afraid that probably most of our listeners would agree. <laughs> you just ranted for 45 minutes. I didn't even oh. cut you off. I, I, I finally got to step in there and took a breath. But uh, yeah, you know, it's look, it, we could talk, you know, you and I with a couple of beers, we could go on forever on this topic. And I don't think that that would, that would be good for our, for our listeners, but certainly good for our health. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it is what it is. It's, it's a big topic. We're not going to solve it all today, but certainly got into it. I think, it, you know, we got the point across that it's important to get a clear perspective. Understand that what you see is, is only what you see. And that you have to make an effort to see the other sides of, of the same equation to be able to build a program to protect yourself better, to understand the situation better. Otherwise, you're always going to be exposed. And, you know, you've only got a limited viewpoint in, in that lens that you look through. So the more lenses you can bring to the table that you can experience that you can talk with, I think that ultimately sets you up for better uh, odds of succeeding in whatever you want to do. So so with that, I'm going to turn it over to you, Brian, for some closing comments. I know you you want to go on, but... We do have time limits on this and, uh, you know, closing comments oh, and uh, we're off. <laughs> well, it, it's really the closing comment, you know, and I've learned this over the years is you've got to be a critical thinker. You know, when I was growing up, there were three or four channels. There was Walter Cronkite on CBS and there was NBC and there was CBC and CTV. And there was insightful thought in the world we live in today with uh, with Facebook and Instagram and cable news, it's TikTok. really about a twenty-second TikTok. TikTok, yeah, Twitter. my daughter's on that. That's a, you know, it's really a soundbite. It's a ten or twenty-second soundbite, and that's okay. You know, that's sort of how I consume my news. But I take the headline, the soundbite, and then I delve in deeper. And if it sounds too good to be true, I try and validate it. Critical thinking is necessary in life, and it's certainly necessary in business. And I would say that there's too much lack of critical thinking. And I think really, you know, my closing comments is to succeed in business, to succeed as a security leader, you've got to be a critical thinker with an open mind. Well said. I will just add, be curious, ask questions, get involved. Don't accept things at face value. Um, By the way, isn't that critical? What you just said, I agree. Isn't that another word for critical thinking? Like, do I have to do, you know, can't you think for yourself and come up with your own <laughs> stuff rather than steal my stuff? But Even when I compliment you. Oh, my God. Yeah, I got to start drinking on, on air because it's like <laughs> you're killing me. Uh, all right. Anyway, I think that was a good uh, that was a good episode, uh, Brian. I think I think we had some good uh, some good points on both sides. I, although we don't, I don't think we're on opposite sides. I think we yeah. agreed. That's some good uh, war stories. And uh, I'm done for it. Till next time. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye everyone. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets. Come <laughs> on.